My name's Greg. Um, now, I don't know about you guys, but um, have you ever been in a, a worship time? Maybe like what we just had, and you just, sometimes even as I'm singing what we're singing, or what I'm saying, Lord, can this just last forever? Like, don't, I don't want Monday. I don't want Tuesday, Wednesday. I know he calls us into the week and all the things, but as I was thinking about that just now, because I was, I don't even remember what I'm going to say. I'm going to look at my notes here, but that, that worship set was so meaningful to me, and, and I was starting to think about the fact that I'm sitting there wanting it to go forever, and there will be a day when it will go forever, which is awesome, you know? So I think we're going to be doing some worshiping in heaven. But um, so what, last week, um, Janae talked, and I was actually standing right there after the six o'clock message, and she came up and said, she said this exactly. She said, Greg is going to be here next week, and he's going to be talking about family, and he's going to be sharing from the heart of a father. And that was, ex I didn't talk to Janae, she didn't know I was going to, I don't, I didn't know she knew I was going to speak, and that was exactly what I want to do tonight. So tonight, what I want you to do is join me as I reflect on how God has shown me his heart through being a husband and through being a dad. And so there, there's three attributes of God's heart or, or three qualities I think that I want to touch on tonight. The first one is his protection. The second is that God has a heart of acceptance. And the third one is that God is a forgiving God. And the, sort of the, the overarching theme, or if I were to put all three of those under an umbrella, it would be this one statement. And that is that God is for you. So think about that for a minute. God is for you. Can you think of people in your life right now that are for you? Can you think of maybe an instance? Like I think of... Uh, a middle school kid who's running in a race on the track and his parents and his grandparents and his aunts and all his friends that are cheering him on to get across the finish line. They are for him in that instance. Like even as I stand here right now, I know that Annie sitting right there, my wife, she is so for me in this moment. Like even bigger than just, like she wants the word of the Lord to be proclaimed like we all do, right? But she's for me too. Like, she wants me to remember what I'm going to say. She wants me tonight to go to bed and go, yeah. She doesn't want me to say something completely inappropriate, which she's probably praying about right now. So God used Annie in my life early on in our marriage to teach me this thing about being for somebody, okay? So I was 26 at the time. I was living in Ohio. And I was working this job. I'd been there three to four years out of college. I was working this job, doing this grind. And I had a, a best friend at the time and his wife, who I went to college with, and they lived in Columbus, Ohio, with me. And I have to give them names, otherwise, because I'm going to an aunt and uncle thing, and I'll get lost. So Chip and Deb are my friends. And Deb's uncle lived in Ashland, Ohio. And Uncle Jim had a girl working for him named Annie. And he called her Violet because of an old movie. It's like old Dolly Parton movie, way old. So, so Violet, or who I would come to find out, Annie, this Uncle Jim kept saying, you need to meet, Greg needs to meet Violet. Greg's got to meet Violet. This went on a few times. I never really went to see her. But so I'm living in Columbus. So I decide that I'll go ahead and, and go up to Ashland and, and meet this girl, okay? And the thing about it is, is, though, I had just taken a job 
to move to Orlando, Florida. So what the heck, I'll go meet this girl, right? I'm leaving in a couple months. So blind dates are usually not good. So I go to dinner, where I'm dinner with my friends, and Uncle Jim's there, and we're having dinner, and it slips out that Violet's 19. Well, I'm 26. I'm thinking, this is not good. <laughs> but then I got to the game, and I saw Annie, and it was good. <laughs> I didn't care if she was 19 or 16. It's like, this is all good. Here. Well, that's first inappropriate right there. <laughs> so, so I go to the game, and... I'll never forget, it was a small town, so I, I took her to Denny's afterwards, but it, hold on, small town, Ohio, it was late, Denny's was the only thing open, but we talked and talked and talked, and I remember I dropped her off at her home, and I went back, and I was sleeping at Uncle Jim's house, and I have to make sure this is very appropriate, I was staying in his daughter's room, but his daughter was not in the room, and I was sleeping, young, young girl, and I was laying there on the bed, and I, I'll never forget, because there were these little the glow-in-the-dark stars on the ceiling. And I was laying there, I was just looking up, and the windows were open. It was a beautiful spring night in Ohio, and Annie's house was literally like a block and a half away. And I, I laid there on my back and just smiled because I had the most wonderful night that I've had in so long. I mean, it's just, she was just a fantastic person. Problem is, I had two months, and I was moving to Florida. And actually, Annie lived in Ashland. I had an apartment in Columbus, and I was training in Dayton. So we were really far apart. So within two months, I saw, I mean, we saw each other most of the weekends. We tried to get to see each other. But there were no, before I left, two months came, and I was leaving. There were no I love yous, or we just had a blast. And we had fun. When we saw each other, we had a great time. So here I am leaving. Um, and you got to know, not only were there not, like, unlimited minutes, there were no cell phones, Okay. <laughs> I don't think there were, 1991. I did not have a cell phone. They, they didn't exist. Can you imagine that? Like one night when I was going to see Annie, I was driving, and there was tons of traffic. I was like two and a half hours late. There's no texting to say I'm in traffic. There's no, anyway, she was worried. But so, so here we go. We knew each other for two months. I move, and I said there were no love yous. There was an I love you within one month from me because I was missing Annie big time. So I love you. Then a month later, will you marry me? So, and that was interesting because I asked her dad if I could have her hand in marriage, and he's like, I don't even know you. <laughs> I couldn't blame him, so I had to fly up there and get to know his, her dad a little bit. So. so anyway, so Annie and I met in March, engaged by July, married in December of the same year. So Annie and I are now in Florida, and when you're on a relationship path like that, you don't have time to think about what kind of baggage you might bring into the relationship. And I had some trust issues, probably from a lot of different things, but probably the major thing was a four-year relationship with a girl in college that just wasn't a good relationship. It was on again, off again. It was, um, she lived in California, but we went to college together, and when she'd go to California, I wouldn't hear from her for weeks. It was just a very odd, when it was good, it was great. When it was bad, it was bad. And it just was a really tough relationship. Well, Annie and I just had fun. I mean, we were just, we loved each other. We were just having a great time. Well, this, these trust things started to manifest themselves. And um, things like, um, you know, Annie and I would, Annie and I were best friends, Mark and Jan. And we'd go to their house, and we'd play tennis with them, and we'd go to their house and talk all night. Well, it seemed like every other night when we'd leave, I'd have something I had to talk to Annie about, some issue I had to bring up. Why did you say that? What, what, what did you mean when you said that? What, I was questioning these things. I didn't even know why I was doing it. 
So just asking her these questions, why? I remember one time, she, a girl from her work, they went out for dinner or something, and they came home to the apartment, and they were outside of our apartment park in the car, and I was in the apartment, and Annie was in the car for like 45 minutes to an hour with this girl. I was livid. I mean, that sounds so, I understand that sounds so weird, but I was upset. I didn't even know why, but she didn't come in. And so I'd have this long talk with her about why, why did, and Annie's actually out there with this girl who's crying because she's hurting, and I know I look like a huge idiot right now. I get that. Okay. But I'm trying to understand the weirdness of this. Okay. And Annie was so gracious, and she would talk to me, and she'd say, well, what, what, what did I say, or what, what did you want me to say? or what, what? Well, one time in particular, I started talking to Annie about this stuff. Right? Well, why did you do like And instead of talking to me, she just buried her face in her hands, and she just started crying, just crying. And I had never made her cry before. And it was like, suck it. And I literally, my heart fell to my stomach. And she looked up at me, it just tears running down her face. And she said, don't you know that I am for you? And she said, you don't get it. You don't get it. I left my family. I'm married to you. I love you. I want to be with you. I want this to work. And you question this and this and this and this. And I want to tell you, I, things don't always happen to me like, light bulb, but that was a light bulb moment for me. It was a 180 for me. And I realized that I didn't get it. She was for me. And what changed was when these little things would happen then, and she'd say something that I might question, I sent it through this grid that Annie is for me. And half the time, I wouldn't even have to talk to her then, because she wasn't out to hurt me. She wasn't out to get me. She was for me. And that is such the father's heart. You know, I had just this last week, I had a situation where there's a job with a customer that I get every year. I've gotten it every year. It's a big job. It's one of those that you're like, yes, I needed that. And just this past week, I met with the customer. It went great. Um, next day, before I can even seal the deal, I got an email saying, Greg, we're gonna, thank you so much for your work on this. We're going to go with another company. And it was literally physically stomach gut sitting there. And I kind of tried to email back. We talked a little bit, tried to figure out. I couldn't figure out what happened, really. It was very odd. And I went for a walk. And I, I made my mouth say these words. God, thank you for not giving me that order. And it was very, very hard to say that because I didn't feel it at all. And I kept walking around the block. And I took some time to explain to him that I was very disappointed. And, you know, all the, the vulnerability that Janae was talking about. We got to be real, right? But by the end of my walk, I said it again. God, thank you for not giving me this order. And it was a little easier to say because I was sending it through that grid that God is for me. He's for me. There's a reason why I didn't get that. So that's sort of our overarching theme. But I want to talk to you about the first attribute of God. And I've got, I have a terrible, I have a sore throat and dry. So I'm going to be drinking every now and then water. Um, <laughs> Inappropriate, number two. Um, so protection. God, God is a protector. I love this verse. Um, it's Psalm 138, 7 through 8. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. 
So protection. So Annie and I didn't really know, we didn't talk much about how many kids we wanted because we were still getting to know each other after the first year of being together. Um, Annie came from three, she was the oldest of three, I was in the middle of five kids. Uh, we, I've always loved kids. I mean, I was the child in, when I was in middle school, I would go to the nursery and play with the kids and I just, I love children, love children. But how many we were going to have, I didn't know. But one of the families that had kids that I would spend time with was with my brother Jeff and Beth, who are here from Texas. <laughs> Visiting us. Well, Jeff, before I had any kids, Jeff had four girls. And they were all boom, 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 right, right there. And I, would, I always had a trade show every year in Texas. And I would go see Jeff and Beth and his girls. And I would spend a, the night with them, and we'd play and everything. But I would go to bed at night. And I would say, this is insane. I mean, you, can, you have a choice on how many children you have. I mean, it was fun, but it was chaotic, and it was a mess. But Annie and I didn't learn because we had five kids. So, but when I, so Valley's my oldest, and then Jackson, and a lot of you, you guys know my kids, Sophie, Will Preston, and, and little Mia. Well, just before we had Valley, our first child, I moved home into a home office. It was an initiative for our company. So Valley was always my little shadow. She was everywhere I went. And I remember this one time in particular, I was in the bathroom shaving, and I had the mirror in front of me so I could see everything Valley was doing. She's grabbing soap. She's doing all this stuff, just having fun, diaper age. And I'm shaving, shaving, shaving. And I see her dart for the bathroom counter, and there was a heavy glass bottle sitting right and she, just before she reached, I grabbed my hand, and I just moved it to the back. Well, you would have thought that bottle landed on her foot. She screamed so loud. because she, And if she would have grabbed that thing, it would have knocked her on the head, would have dropped on her foot, something would, bad would have happened. Do you know that scream when children do when the mouth's open, but you don't see it? No noise. It's like, wait for it. And then just like, Valley could out-scream any child you could ever imagine. And... I, she screamed. It didn't take me by surprise. I knew she was going to do that, okay? But I just picked her up, and I held her. I didn't force her to look. She was cranking for the bottle. She wanted the bottle. Screaming, cranking the bottle. I just held her. Just held her until she relaxed a little bit. And I said, Valley, you can't have that bottle. It's not, it's not good for you right now. It's going to hurt you. Well, I talked to her a little bit. She got a little distracted. I put her down, and she kind of went out her way. Later, I was in the car doing sales between appointments and things. And God said to me, because of the things I was thinking about and wanting and things in my life. He said, Greg, that's you. You're that little one in diapers. And you're grabbing for something, and I had to take my hand and move it away for your protection. And I started thinking about all these different things, about how I picked up Valley and just held her. He'll hold you as long as you need help. And you know what? I didn't grab her face to explain it to her and make her more mad, make her angry. He's so gracious the way he'll just hold us. And just time will go by, and he'll put you down. And you know what? I love this. I wasn't anxious about Valley's situation. And I love that about God, too. He's not anxious about our sin. He's not surprised about it. He's not anxious and upset. So I love that. I just love that story of Valley about protection. Acceptance is the next thing I want to talk about. This is one that... God has really been working on me the most, I would say, in the past three to four years of my life. Um, let me read this verse real quick. It's um, Zephaniah 3.17. Love this verse. 
The Lord our God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. You know what I love about that verse? That verse is different to me than God loves me. I love it that he delights in me. Think about someone rejoicing over you singing. I mean, that's delight. That's, that's I want to be with you. I love that about that verse. But this, what I was going to say is this is something where the Lord has really been working on me in my life. Um, have you ever noticed in the Bible that a lot of the characters um, are, have really blown it? You know, like David, Bathsheba, and, and killed her husband and lied about it, and uh, Peter's denial, and the disciples fled Christ, and all these different things. Well, I don't know about you, but when, when I read those things, I see those things, and yet I see that David is a man after God's heart, after God's heart. And Peter is someone that he built his church on and God's redemption, that is reassuring to me. To me, that's a reassuring thing because I do love God and I, I feel like I have a, a, a heart for him, but I blow it. But the thing that's hard for me as, as a father is to allow my children to have that same freedom, to allow them to have that same reassurance that I get when I read those stories. So I was just out in, so Jackson, a lot of you guys know Jackson. He's um, pursuing a music career out in L.A., and he moved out there in October. And um, it was kind of an odd time for us because I was in Oregon, and then I flew to L.A., and I had a layover, and Annie was flying Jackson to California to set him up in an apartment. So it was a very odd miss, missing each other time. And I was sitting in L.A., sitting there eating my peanut M&Ms, waiting to go to Orlando, and God said, Greg, get up and pray. Your son is coming to the city. So I did. So I got up, and I just started walking, and I started praying. And as I was doing that, the God, gave, God gave me a vision at this moment as I was walking through this. And I saw this, this bulldozer that had an extremely wide bucket or blade. It was huge, huge, and it was plowing this road. And it made sense to me because I was praying, God, prepare, prepare the way for my son to come. But then God said to me, he said, Greg, do you know why I'm plowing such a big road? Why it's, and the trees, I could see them going everywhere, plowing. There were still stumps and bumps and everything, but he was making this path. I said, no, Lord, I don't know why this road's so big. And he said, because Jackson's going to fall. And when he does, he'll still be on the road. It's wide enough for him. And that was huge for me. Because three to four years ago, I don't know if I could have accepted that. Because for me, Jackson's not allowed that. You see, he's got to do what's right because I've taught him what's right. But God said, no, the road's wide for him. And about, and I got to tell you, I've talked to all my kids and they know I'm talking about them. So don't feel nervous for them. But I did really, I got their permission. But Three to four years ago, or I don't know exactly, but when Valley was a sophomore in high school, um, we went through a very, very difficult time with Valley. Uh, she was making some, some poor decisions with some people that were very, very difficult time. Very difficult time. Annie and I had to step in and move the bottle away on several things and try to get some control over some things. And that was a very, very hard time for me as a dad. And God had to use that time 
to strip away a lot of pride that I didn't know was there. He had to show me that this road, he had to show me that my road is wide and my sin stinks, you know, and that my grace is big and I had to accept this for myself. And you know, all, all of the tears that I've shed in that time with Valley, I wouldn't trade for what she has right now. And it has, it has changed my prayer for my children. I don't, I don't pray for my kids anymore that they would behave. I pray that they would have a revelation with Jesus. That's all I pray about anymore. And Valley's had, Valley's had that revelation with Jesus. I don't, it's, 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 it's so great. All right. Okay, I want to talk about um, forgiveness. You know, a lot, a lot can be said about forgiveness and confession and repentance and things. So Ryan and Colin could speak for a week or a month on it, I'm sure. But I just want to share with you what the Lord has shown me as a dad with forgiveness and what I love about our father. <clears throat> when we have disobedience in our home, we have tension, strife, someone's done something wrong, whatever. And sometimes we go to bed with that. You know, it's not resolved. I'm in my bed and I forgive my child. I forgive them because I know more. I know why. I maybe don't know exactly why they're doing it, but I know them and their maturity, and I know, I know what's, I know the opposition. There's a lot of things that I know, and I love them, and I forgive them. And it doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter if they come to me and say I'm sorry. It doesn't matter. I forgive them. But when they do come to me, when they knock on the door, and they come and they sit on the edge of my bed at night and say, Dad, I am so sorry. So sorry. I don't know why I said that. I don't know why I did that. That is a huge impact. I already forgave them. Doesn't matter if they came in or not. But what happens in that encounter is we talk. There's always an embrace. There's usually laughter. And we're just together talking about these things. And it's like what Janae was talking about last week about a willingness to be vulnerable. And for me, I think about, you know, I, I even change the way I pray about my sin. And I don't know if this is doctrinally okay. I'm just going to say it. But I don't, I don't even come to the Lord anymore and say, will you forgive me for my sins? Because that's a mindset of that I need his forgiveness. He forgave me for my sins. It's all on the cross. I'm forgiven before I go to him or not. What I come to him and say, Jesus, I'm sorry for what I did. It was stupid. I don't know why I did it. It's that vulnerability that's talking. And that just strengthens that bond. It strengthens that bond that, that you're, you are together and you're with him. So I love that. I love that about Jesus. And, you know, kind of in closing, I just want to say I have one more little story. It's another one that makes me look like a jerk. I'm realizing all of these. But I've talked a lot about myself as a father and, and earthly fathers and things. But Something that's very important and something that God has really impressed upon me even this week is that fathers, your fathers, your earthly fathers, this earthly father, we fall very short in comparison to our heavenly father. I had a situation, I wish it was a longer time ago, but it was just several months ago. I had bought a new phone and I had a, an old iPhone that, that I let Will use. Will was using it for music and stuff like that. Somehow the passcode got changed and I loved using it still because I used it for when I do running or whatever. 
And somehow that got changed, and I was upset. And I told Will, I said, Will, how did this happen? How did that, Dad, I don't know. I think he had an accomplice, actually, so a younger one. <laughs> May have happened. But I, I, so I went to Jackson. I said, Jackson, can you fix this for me? And Jackson couldn't fix it. Valley, can you fix it? No, Annie finally said, Greg, why don't you just go to the Apple store? And, you know. But I, one last time, in front of everyone, I let Will know I was disappointed in for screwing up my thought. Well, I went to bed that night. And he's like, Dad, I'm sorry. You know? well, I went to bed that night, and the Holy Spirit said, go up and see Will. And so I did. And he said, I went, as I was walking up the stairs, he told me exactly what to say to him. The first, I got in bed with Will. Kids are awesome in bed. So cute. If you're ever like, God's, you think God's mad at you, just get in bed and look cute. Because <laughs> I think it works. So I'm in bed with Will, and I said, Will, was that inappropriate? I don't know. So I said to Will, I said, Will, number one, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for saying to you six times in front of people that I'm disappointing you over over. But more importantly, I said, Will, your Heavenly Father doesn't do that. And I don't want you to think because I did that He does. He won't come back to you over and over and over again. And that's so important. So important to remember. We all have fathers that we can't compare them, although we tend to. So if you guys can just stand with me for a minute, I want to say a prayer over you. I'd like you to accept this prayer in any way that you can. If you want to put your, put your hands open. So Father God, we have talked about you tonight. And it is my pleasure. Lord, I don't know what everyone's come in here with. I know what I've come in with, God. And I've needed to be reminded that you are for me. And God, I need to send my trials and my tribulations and my things I don't get, I need to send them through this grid that you are a, a good, good Father and that you are for me. And I need, I need to be reminded, God, we need to be reminded that, that you are here for our protection. There's things that we're grasping for. There's things that we think we want. They might even be things that are good for us at a later time, but you're just pushing the bottle away for now, and that's for our protection, God. Give us that insight, Jesus, supernaturally. And God, we need to know that we are accepted by you. Our road is wide. You've plowed a wide road of grace for us, God. We thank you for that. God, if we need to accept that tonight, Jesus, give it to us. And Lord, your forgiveness is, is always and forever. Help us to be vulnerable, Jesus. Help us to come and sit at the edge of your bed and tell us, tell you why we're hurting, why we're sorry, Jesus. I pray that blessing on everyone here tonight, Jesus. In your precious name, amen.